calling all denizens of the dark, mavens of mayhem, and champions of chaos. Lock your doors and listen close. It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. I am Terrence McCauley, and this is Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Dana King is my guest today. He was born in New Kensington, Pennsylvania, and grew up in Lower Borough, Pennsylvania. A classically trained musician, he holds a bachelor's degree from Indiana University of Pennsylvania and a master's in trumpet performance from New England Conservatory. He has worked as a musician, forklift operator, and as a training officer for a government agency. He has been nominated twice for a Seamus Award from the Private Eye Writers of America, and he is the author of the Penns River and Nick Forte series. Whiteout is book seven in the Penns River series, and it's available right now. Dana, thanks for being here today with us. Terrence, it's always a pleasure. It's been too long since we've been able to see each other even virtually, so I'm, I'm very happy to get a chance to talk to you. I know, pal. Me too. Me too. It has been too long, and uh, we're going to rectify that today. Uh, so how about you start off by giving us an overview of both your series, and then let us know how White Owl plays in all of that. Okay. Uh, the Penns River series is my version of the old adage to write what you know. Penns River is a fictional town. But the geography and 90% of the places in it are real, and they're in the three small towns I grew up in. You mentioned the two of them. There's three small cities northeast of Pittsburgh that I kind of combined into Penns River because there's a small downtown area, there's a fairly large residential area, and there's a rural area that's kind of right on the exurbs of it. So I'm able to pull in any kind of stories I want. And the nice thing about it being a small town, it's also economically depressed. The, the economy died there in the 70s, never really came back. Mm. It meant I, I didn't have to follow any real city's police procedures too closely. I could kind of go with general stuff and make things up as I needed to. But I also didn't have to play around a whole lot with the CSI type stuff because Prince River can't afford that stuff. Right. They have a guy who will collect fibers or DNA, but they have to send it out to the state lab and it comes back in six weeks, six months, a year. So I, I can talk about them collecting it and I can make reference to it, but I don't have to actually work it into the stories, which is good because I'm not a big fan of stories like that. Right. And, right. and basically the stories are about the kinds of crimes that happen in towns like this. And as the series went on, I started to do more and more what I call anecdotes, which aren't necessarily related to the main story, but they're weird things that actually happen in small towns. That police have to deal with, which I get from subscribing to the local newspaper online. And I take a lot of those stories. I mean, I dress them up, but they're they're pretty much the, the events are pretty much verbatim to what actually happened with folks. Uh, where Whiteout came from, which is the, the most recent book, is I thought I would the original title was Officer Involved. And okay. the story was going to be a black cop shoots an apparently unarmed white man. I just want to kind of turn that general thing on its head. I know Frank Zafiro has done something very similar. That was Charlie 316 series. So mm -hmm. I had a black cop shoot a white guy. And as I was working out the story, I got to thinking, well, what's the logical conclusion of this? Well, maybe the white supremacists are going to make a big deal about this. And they're going to decide to come to town to the funeral and they're going to wreck the joint. 
and this small town can't really accommodate this stuff. So I had a good story being built up there. And then it occurred to me, well, let's, let's add some complicating factors. How about a snowstorm? They're going to be there for the funeral the day a foot and a half of snow gets dropped on this town with all, okay. the, all the problems that get involved with that. And just as I was playing with it, since I don't have a very high regard for white supremacists, and I don't mind saying so, I think a lot of them are, um, uh, what's, what's a polite word I could use? At best, duplicitous, and they're using, they're using this movement to gin up some people for their own reasons. I decide they're going to rob okay, right. So while all this is going on in the snowstorm, after the funeral, they're going to try to rob a casino. So we've got this almost like, no pun intended, a perfect storm of things. Everything that could possibly go wrong for these cops is going wrong today. There's a potential riot, there's a massive snowstorm, and it's going to be a casino robbery, which they obviously don't know about. And that's, right. that's how things kind of spin out from there. Wow, sounds like an action-packed book. It really does. It's probably it's probably as action-packed as anything I've ever written. Exactly right. Um, I mean, I know that you write a, a series of characters for your Penn River novel. Who returns in this one, and who is new in this one? Do you introduce any new character arcs? Well, the usual the usual suspects are back. Um, we're going to. I don't want to give too much away, but we're going to lose one. Actually, we're going okay. to lose a couple in this book. And, uh, and we're going to have one be become badly injured. Uh, the new characters are basically the white supremacists. I mean, okay. it's interesting you mentioned that because one of the things, oh, there's also a U.S. Marshal. Okay. Because he's chasing one of the white supremacists. But it's interesting you mentioned that because one of the things I did, I had the idea for this book when I was still writing the previous book. So the black cop, who's the focus of this, who shoots the white guy, um, I actually brought him in a book early. And gave him a relatively major part because one of the things that, that kind of bugs me when you see it in TV shows or you see it in series books is when they bring a guy in just to do that. Right. Okay, I wanted a black cop to shoot a white guy. Oh, let's bring in a black cop. Well, let's bring in the black cop a book or two earlier so people actually kind of get to know him as a character other than just somebody who's standing in for the guy who shoots somebody. That's exactly right. And, yeah. and, and, and that was what I did. So he's not really new, but he hasn't been around all that long, which is fine because I'm setting him up as a inexperienced officer to find mm -hmm. himself in this situation. So I, I was I, I was actually thinking a little bit ahead on that one for a change. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I, I think that series readers love to see it threaded in throughout. And when there's a star character where they act like they've been there for a while and they haven't been, it's a little bit jarring. You know, it's yeah. like... Uh, what they used to do in the old uh, 80s and 90s detective shows, which is bring in the previous partner of the protagonist who's retired, and then you know he's not going to be up to anything good yeah. while he's on the show. So, um, or, or if he is trying to be helpful, he's a dead man. Right. They're going to kill him off. Right. And then there's going to be revenge from the protagonist about that. Yeah. I mean, we all, we all see it coming, but you know what? We all watch those shows religiously for a reason, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean... I don't want to sound condescending, but remember the age people like, well, even you know, you're a lot younger than I am, but remember the ages we were when we watched a lot of those shows. And we weren't writers then ourselves, so we weren't thinking about that second level of going, well, you know, this isn't really plausible. They had us in there for a week, you know, for an hour and out. And right. it's just now that, because as I kind of know, a lot of those shows are, are, are still popular, and I'm not criticizing the folks who watch them, but it just kind of comes up that when, again, you write the things like we do or, or 
other folks who write crime fiction, you're writing Western. You same thing with Westerns. I notice in Westerns, well, you could see this coming. Fortunately, yours don't do that. It's right. uh, it becomes a lot more obvious if you're an author who's paying attention that well, yeah, this was something that once I thought about it, didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. So how about I don't do it that way? Right. Try right. to try to fix it. Whether anybody notices, I don't know. But right. It, it, it's it's part of the it's part of the entertainment of crafting the story. Right. And it's creating the universe that all of these characters are in. I mean, they might not have dragons or rings uh, to go on a uh, flight about, but they def there is a universe that you've built in, in your fiction. And all of us have with series titles. So that's, that's what's important. Um, I was wondering about, is there any, for people who haven't read your stuff, is there any bleed over between Nick Forte and the Penn River series? Yeah, there is actually. There wasn't supposed to be. Okay. Way back early on in the Penn's River series, uh, in the second book, Grind Joint, I needed somebody to come in who was willing to take, well, I didn't need, I guess. I decided I wanted to have somebody come in who was willing to take some extra legal measures. To, to, okay. to use, the, to use the, the hackneyed expression that you see sometimes in, in TV show descriptions, somebody who will color outside the lines. And my cops weren't set up that way, but I'd already written four Nick Forte PI novels. And in each book, Forte gets a little darker, he gets a little more violent as the things he sees wear on him. And okay. they're wearing out his humanity. So I decided just on a spur of the moment one day to make my Chicago PI a first cousin of my main character in the PI stories, or in the Penn's River stories. Okay. So he grew up in Penn's River. Him and his cousin were inseparable and went to school together. They played ball together, did everything. Nick went on and moved to Chicago to be a PI, but Ben is still in Penn's River as a cop. So Nick happens to be in town visiting his parents when things start to break bad and, and Doc just kind of asks, well, Ben just kind of asks him, well, will you, you can take a look at something for me? And that gets Nick involved and Nick sees his cousins in trouble. So he's going to take care of things in his own particular way. And since then, in most books, I'll have them at least make a phone call to each other. So you just remind you, or you just mention, oh, is that, that your cousin, the PI? Yeah, it would be. And uh, in fact, in the book I just finished, it's going to come out next year, hopefully, uh, okay. Nick makes another appearance in Penn's River. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah, it, it, that makes it rewarding for the people who've read all of your stuff all the way through when they see Easter eggs from other characters that That's appear the in the books. And it's just like um, what they did with uh, Bosch and uh, Mickey Haler. In, yeah, uh, the Lincoln exactly. lawyers. So yeah, I, I got the ideas. <laughs> I, yeah, I, exactly. I figured if you steal ideas from people, steal them from the best. Exactly right. There's nothing wrong with that at all. We, um, I remember a couple of years ago, I got you, I got credit for getting you hooked on the Shield, and mm -hmm. uh, Justified, I believe, was was another one that you watched. How has seen that the, that type of show as opposed to the 1980s affected your work? Do you think? Like oh, the, uh, the hunters and, and other parts. Enormously. Other. Enormously. I mean, um, um, I mean, Penn's River is a small town. It, it doesn't really have any of the justified elements, but there are certain, well, well you also know, I'm heavily influenced by Elmore Leonard mm -hmm. in, in my writing style. And uh, I remember somebody in, in a review, one of the Amazon reviews I got for, uh, for Grindjoin, actually, made a comment about it's like, it's like reading, it's like reading Justified Meets the Wire. So uh, I, I have found that what I what I like about these shows, I really enjoy the limited, you know, maybe 12 or 13 episodes a year series where they come in and they tell their story and they tell it as a serial, but then they move on. They don't just have 
It's not like they have a certain amount of space they feel like they have to fill. Right. And they give you better looks of the characters and they have more ensemble cast. They're written a lot more in, in many ways for the ensemble cast and the flowing stories, the way Joe Wamba used to write his novels, even though they're not all procedurals. Mm -hmm. It's 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 this while well, there's a family life involved, while well, there's this little thing that's kind of kind of off topic, but it's entertaining. You're not sure how it's going to tie in. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really I'm, the only influence I'd say the older shows had on me is that they got me interested in police type stuff. But so right. far as my writing goes now, it's all the newer stuff. It's The Wire, it's Justified, it's The Shield, stuff like that. Right. And it seems like you know how to take the best of all of them without being too influenced by them. Like, uh, I know a lot of authors, for example, like to think of their character as a Vic Mackey type character, but they miss the mark where they don't realize that Mackey's actually the bad guy. He does a lot of cool stuff and whatever, but he's the villain in that series. And the series makes no bones about it. They're pretty clear that he's the villain. But, um, you know, people, all, so it's, it's amazing to me how people who can be creative only latch on to one part of the character and not the rest of it. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the things I do like about the, these newer series we're talking about is what you're getting is much more nuanced characters than what you used to get in, the, in, in an hour and we're out of here. And I'm talking even about the main character. I mean, you know, how much, I used to love to watch Mannix. Now, mm -hmm. how much of Mannix's personality do you really get because all you ever really see him do is interact the, the closest you ever got to manage was when the first season or two when he worked for the larger agency and he chafed at being told what to do and who to have to report to um i mean the, the best show i can think of for actually showing you even a well-developed protagonist was probably the rockford files because yeah. those stories weren't really about the cases they were about jim rockford and he happened right. working cases so that was that's um I guess I guess what, what I what I try to work on here is uh, again stealing from Joe Wamba this time. He uh, he famously once said that a good crime story, good cop story, is less about how the cops work on the case than how the case works on the cops. Mm. And I'm trying to in Penn's River in particular, um, you know the, the, these cops are up against it. They don't have enough cops. The town is changing. There's more crimes. How does how does it affect them and how how they sometimes tend to change over time or how they view certain things. And I know I didn't do it on purpose. That was what happened to Nick Forte. In Forte's, in the first book, he's just a guy who finds himself in over his head and how's he going to get out of it? And he has mm -hmm. some skills, so he does get out of it. But every book, the things he sees, I realized as I went on, made him darker and made him less concerned with, you know, doing things the way you're supposed to do them until finally he reached the point, a couple of books where he goes, well, this guy just has to go. Mm -hmm. And the guy goes. And Forte is always able to find ways to, to so the audience sees, well, yeah, th th this guy really did need to go. Or you could dress it up in the, in the investigation. It, it, it could have gone either way, and we have no other witness. We're going to take Forte's story for it. But he, he's a very much more damaged character. And that's the kinds of things we're seeing now in these newer shows that you couldn't really do in those one-hour in-and-out type deals in the past. Right, exactly right. Yeah, the Barnaby Jones and the, the Hunters of the, and the Cannons of the world, they, they were great for their time. And they certainly, as you said, got us watching this, the, the genre. But um, storytelling has gotten more involved now than it used to be. And uh, people expect to have more of an arc and they expect to see more development in the characters and in the plot that will carry over that shortened 10 episode season, not necessarily the 22 episode right. season that we all grew up with. Um, what about uh, Nick Forte? What else can we expect 
to see from him. I know he's not in the uh, in the latest Whiteout book that you just released, but do you see him appearing in more books on his own part of his own? Yes. Series? In fact, I'm working on one right now. Okay, um, great. I'm taking a couple of years off from Penn's River because I want to take a I want to take a little bit different direction with the series. I mean, the cops have been all un unadulterated good guys, and that's what we've been, you know, reading and seeing on the news. I want to show a little bit more of a of a of a broader picture of what it's like for for people to work as police officers. So I'm going to take a couple of years off because I need to do some research because there's going to be some corruption in Penn's River when I come back. Okay, there's going to be some other problems internal to police force, and I need to I need to research that one. And I need to get a better feel for it instead of just writing it and throwing it up there. Plus, it also gives me a chance when I come back, since I'm going to make a fair number of character changes and a culture change in the department, I will start that next Prince of by letting people know that a few years have passed. Instead of usually the books, even though I write a book a year, they tend to take place four to six months apart in book time. This one I'm going to say right. well, this is like three years later. Here, this has changed, that's changed. So I'm writing a forte book because I had a couple of private eye stories that have been kind of clamoring for attention in the back of my mind. So I'm about two thirds of the way through the first draft of this one. I have another one lined up right behind it. And now that I'm thinking in forte's frame of mind, I've got four or five potential story ideas for either short stories or, or other novels. So there's going to be some back and forth between forte and Penn's River coming up in the next few years. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny how these series work themselves out in our minds. You know, people think, uh, you've got everything all lined up all, all ahead of time, but in reality, it's not as clear cut as that. Now you, you were on one uh, tangent, now you're going to go on to uh, the McForte part of it, and that's interesting. Well, it also works out. When I was writing a book called Resurrection Mall, which is the third Penn's River book, it was originally going to be a Nick Forte story. I had it all kind of laid out in my head. Well, it's, this is Forte, and it's going to be this, basically the mall I was going to use since Forte's in Chicago. I was basing the mall on the mall they filmed the Blues Brothers in, which was oh, a okay. mall at this time. It was still just sitting there. And now this, this, this TV preacher is going to come in and make it a religious-themed mall and put a TV studio in there. And Forte was going to get involved. And I was, I was probably 30,000 words into it. And it wasn't going anywhere. I just right. couldn't figure out what to do. And I wasn't all unhappy with what I'd written. So I took a week off and thought about it. And I said, well, no, the problem here is this isn't a Nick Forte story. This is a Penn's River story. And then I thought about another week or so, and it knocked out the outline about two days and wrote the book in probably as fast as I've ever written a book because, yeah, it actually was a Penn's River story. And out of those first 30,000 words, I think I kept 10. Um, like I, I kept one sentence. The, the slogan for the mall was the mall would be raised, not raised, R-A-I-S-E-D, not R-A-Z-E-D. Right. That's the only line I kept from the original book. And uh, I'm happy with how it came out. So, yeah, that's like you said, you don't have, you think you have plans laid out, and maybe you do, and maybe that's not the best plan. So, flexibility is always a virtue. Right. It is. And, and also, too, people might say, oh, well, you, you threw away 30,000 words, but sometimes it takes 30,000 words to get to the 10 that matter. That's right. And, and, and the thing is, First of all, I'm a big believer, not just in writing, that nothing, nothing you learn is ever wasted. And I learned that wasn't going to work. And I learned some things. Okay, so I wasn't wasting my time. And I was still honing my craft. I was still trying to write that as well as I could. The other thing is, thanks to computers now, those 30,000 words are on this hard drive. If I right. were to go back and cannibalize a scene or, an, or something from that in one of the four tables, 
I can go back and look at them whenever I want and just copy. And I've, I've done that. Come back to books that were abandoned or stories that either didn't get published or, or any stories that did get published. It said, well, gee, I can use this for Forte. So I'd go back and just copy and paste a whole chunk and re-edit it so it fits the book in, in, in view. So yeah, I can't imagine how people wrote books before they had computers. I would never have the patience for that. I know. Yeah, I think it was a lot of write out, a whiteout, uh, a lot of cigarettes and a lot of coffee too. And a lot of sore paws because typing on a typewriter is not easy. And, oh, yeah. Um, but that's that was something of a whole different era altogether. It really was. It really was. What about, um, so I know that you said you're going to return to the Penn, Penn's River series after you finish a few Nick Forte novels and books. And you mentioned that you're going to have uh, some police corruption in there based on what's being covered today. Do you, uh, when you write these books, and you say you write about one a year, how do um, modern uh, or modern day uh, concerns influence your writing? Because by the time you publish it, the news cycle tends to have moved on. So do you look for something that's centrist, that's always gonna be there, or do you try to make it a little bit more topical? Yeah, you're right. But by the time a book comes, by the time I think of an idea for a book, which is usually when I'm writing the previous book. Right. So I finish the previous book, and I take close to a year to write this one, and then it's to be another year before it comes out. If you make it too topical, nobody cares anymore, which right. is frankly why um, I haven't touched COVID. I haven't acknowledged COVID in any of the books at all, and I don't plan to. Not because it's gone away and we don't care about it anymore, obviously, but because the reaction to it changes so quickly. Whatever I put into a book is not where we're going to be in two years. Right. So. It just didn't happen. I'm just not, I mean, at some point I may make reference to it in the past once things calm down a little bit more, but I'm not going to worry about it. However, I do like to pick certain things. Like you said, we've been dealing with issues of different types of police corruption for ever. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a big believer that the vast majority of cops are conscientious cops who want to do the job right. Sure. But we also can't argue that that's not all of them. And we also can't argue that the, what they call the blue wall doesn't protect the bad guys more than it does the good guys. Right. So and I haven't addressed that, really. So I, I need to talk about that because it's not going anywhere. Um, issues with white supremacy aren't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a, a, um, a Forte book several years ago. I just missed by one time I dipped my toe back into Forte's water that basically focused on men's rights activists. And now they're not in the news as much as they were before, but misogyny isn't going away. We still see just as much as that as we ever did. So, so when I do pick something that, that's been in the news, I try not to focus so much on the aspect that was in the news, so to speak, as to, well, this is the kind of thing that maybe it got in the news more than usual, but it's always been going on. Let's take a look at it. Right, exactly right. Yeah, and that's what, that's what keeps your books fresh, and that's what keeps the audience members coming back. I know you focused on both of these series. Have you ever thought about dipping your toe into another type of genre? <laughs> well, probably not another genre. Um, just the other day, unprovoked, I'm sure you've had this happen, unprovoked, I wasn't even thinking about writing. The idea for another potential series came to mind. Is I think I'm getting close. I've got like a three book arc in mind for Penn's River, okay. and that might be the end. It's, you know, there's always so many fresh stories you can do about certain things. And I'm, I'm starting to have a, you know, it's starting to get a little old for me to write them. But I came up with an idea for the best description I can, I can come up with for it 
is think of a mashup of Happen Leonard, Terriers, and Matt Scudder. Okay. And I started fleshing out these, these, it's a retired cop and a retired Marine. So they have pensions coming in, but not really enough to live well on. So they start picking up, you know, unofficial private investigator type jobs off the books. And what kind of trouble can they get into? Because they both have skills, they both have some connections, but they're also both kind of operating outside the law. And the big thing I like about it would be, and the reason I mentioned the Happen Leonard and the, and the Terriers is what the core of these books is going to be, again, almost like Rockford to some extent, the cases aren't going to be a big deal. It's going to be the relationship between these two guys and how they talk to each other and how they right. just, for lack of a better term, how they just break each other's balls all the time. Right. And while they're doing that, they'll actually get, you know, um, cases solved and get things done and get in and out of trouble. But I, I want to make it a much more, to me, more of a tongue-in-cheek, where the events may be serious, but these two guys are, they just have so much fun with each other. Right. So, I, that, again, I've got a bunch of stuff on my plate right now to get done, but I'm actually, I'm actually doing something I've never done before. I'm, I'm taking a little bit of time and noodling around with character sketches. So, because this is going to be so much about them and not the cases. Okay, well, what would, you know, what would, what would Joe do in this situation? What would ed do in this situation and then they could play off each other so i'm i'm kind of looking forward to fool i'll probably write a few short stories um between drafts of other books just to kind of get a few test drive the characters for lack of a better word and if they come out yeah. okay well received then okay i'll move ahead with a novel and if they're not then i, I don't have to fool with it yeah short stories are a great great way to uh, flesh out a uh, an idea that you have for a novel or a novella uh i've always found that you get to like you said, test drive the characters and see if they've got any promise. That really is a good way of doing it. Um, how is the best way that people can get in touch with you on uh, social media, website, things like that? Well, my website is uh, danakingauthor.com. And there is a place there you can sign up for the newsletter. There's a place there where you can send an, uh, an email to me. And there's a place there where you can read my blog, which, which I do update every Friday. I'm not good at my author page on Facebook or not great at Twitter, but I do religiously update my blog every Friday. Um, and, and they're always writing posts, even though, I mean, on Facebook, I may get a little political sometimes. The, the blog is always dedicated to writing type stuff or book reviews, that sort of thing. Uh, on Facebook, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Dana King Books, I believe it is. And that's my author page. And I'm better okay. at updating that than I have been. And what I do there is the same thing with Twitter, which is, um, again, I'm at Dana King author. Um, I know, and a smarter marketer would have come up with the same name across all these platforms, but I didn't come up with them all. So that's how, probably why my books don't sell any better. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for Twitter and for, um, especially for the Facebook author page, I will drop in little things. Like I've been struggling with a chapter in the current Nick Forte book, and I will sometimes go in and just give folks an idea of what's going on with that or when the book's coming out or what I've finished a draft. And uh, the folks who follow that page seem to like that. It, it's kind of like I'm giving them little bits of inside baseball of right. how this book is progressing. Because I, I know even, even now, you and I have been writing now for years. And even now, I'll pick up a book by, let's say, let's say Dennis Lehane. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to believe that he just didn't sit down and write that book. Well, you and I both know he went through drafts, he went through rewrites, he went through all the same crap we're going through to mm -hmm. get there. And, and, and most readers don't get that. They think writers are just somehow touched by God. They sit down and tell these stories and they're done. 
So I'm, right. I'm finding entertaining, and I think some of my readers are finding it entertaining to see, no, here's some of the teeth that have to be pulled. Here's some of the hills that have to be climbed. And here's some of the obstacles where sometimes, you know, I don't believe in writer's block, but I believe in getting stuck. Yes. And I was stuck a couple of weeks ago, and I'm out of it now. But, you know, it's kind of, and, and the feedback seems to be pretty good. So, yeah, anybody who's interested in that sort of stuff, it's, uh, that's my Facebook page is uh, uh, Dana King Books. Yeah, and I can recommend that blog to anybody who is either a writer or a fan of the writing process because you've always got some really great stuff on there. And the book that we mentioned earlier, White Out, that's available in uh, bookstores and on Amazon, correct? Well, actually, it's available on Amazon. Um, okay. Yeah, for again, for folks, a little bit of inside baseball type stuff. For uh, a small publisher like mine, they can't afford to take returns. Bookstores traditionally can return any books that don't sell, and my publisher can't afford that, which means right. it's very rare for bookstores to carry my book. I can go in and consignment sometimes for an event and do it. So basically, the best place to get my book right now is on Amazon. Is on Amazon, okay. Although, although in, in fairness to your local bookstore, if you want to go into your bookseller and throw them some business and ask them to order it for you, they can get it. There is a distributor for that. They're just not going to have it on the shelves. Right. Right, exactly right. Yeah, so they can get it through IndieBound or, or something yes. along those lines. Right. They can order it through there. That's fantastic. Well, Dana, thank you so much for taking time to uh, talk to us today. I know my uh, listeners have enjoyed it, and I know they're going to also look forward to seeing whatever you have in the future. So Fair thanks thank again you for taking the time. You know, it, it, it's always a treat to get to see you. I, I still, the one of my favorite panels I was ever on was the one I met you on in Albany. The first time That's right. Met. You would just you you, you you gave me a copy of Prohibition, and that's uh, right. And we've been friends since then, and it's always a treat to see you and Rita. Thanks, pal. I appreciate it. We we love seeing you too. So uh, I am Terrence McCauley, and this has been Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.